Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Now we're talking about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We know there's a famous passage of scripture that a lot of people know, people in the church, out of the church, about love being kind and gentle and all these descriptions of love. And these are this, the descriptions, not that we just have in our Bible, but these are actually God's descriptions of what love looks like. And we believe, and we talked about this last week, we believe that our culture is confused a little bit. They think love is happiness and they confuse these two things. And really what God wants is he wants your love to be so much deeper than a fleeting feeling. He wants a commitment in your life. And so that's what we're, we've been talking about. Uh, we're going to finish up uh, potentially next week. And so we're just, we're continuing this and just excited to dig in and really discover how God created us to love. Come on, how many know that, that sometimes what we call love in our culture, uh, it doesn't last very long. Right, And so we're talking about eternal love. We're talking about unconditional love, the love, real love, the love that endures forever. And we've been talking about this concept about when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Then he said, you're the light of the world. And when he says that, he's not saying like you're a light bulb of the world. We understand that in scripture, they didn't have electricity. And so they had lamps. And in those lamps, they put oil in those lamps. And so to be the light of the world, you got to have a flame, but you also have to have oil in the lamp. And so we talked about this last week that the oil in the lamp is love. Come on, it's a life driven, led by the Holy Spirit, a life full of oil, come on, emitting the flame of heaven. And the way that we will be, church, on the earth as the light of the world is by emitting love. Come on, by emitting the, the, the light of Jesus and burning with love. So he says this in Isaiah chapter 60. This is Isaiah, a famous, uh, another famous uh, passage right here. Love Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. So the light's already here. The light's already in you. The fact is, is will you arise and let it shine? For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness over the people. I mean, know that to be true, that the earth is full of darkness, that people are full of darkness. See, darkness covers the earth, and a thick darkness covers the people, but the Lord rises on you. He rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. And then he says this, nations will come to your light. Come on. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of the dawn. What he's saying is, listen, people will be drawn in by the fiery love that's in your heart. Expressed through the gift of the Holy Spirit and expressed through your demonstration to love others well. So love is the oil in our lamp. When we talk about love, we're not talking about an idea. Come on, we're not talking about something abstract. We're talking about action. Because love isn't an idea. Love is an action. Love, is, love doesn't happen. You don't fall in and out of love. That's something else. That's infatuation. That's lust. You fall in and out of lust. Oh, some of y'all done did that today. Love doesn't happen. Love's a choice. Love's a decision. Love is not a fleeting feeling, and this is where we're going to focus today. Love is not a fleeting feeling. It's the fervent fight of faithfulness. It's a, it's a heart that's burning that says, I want to be committed forever. I want to be faithful. 
And it's a fervent light. It's not something that, that fleets. It's not something that turns on and turns off. I can tell you every day, Leslie and I will be celebrating 15 years of marriage this week. Come on. 15 years. We've defied the odds. And I love this woman. And we are just getting started. But let me tell you something. We've been married a little while. And sometimes you feel like you love that person. And sometimes you don't feel like you love that person. But my commitment has little to do with my feeling. What I've decided to do is allow my commitment and my devotion to my wife drive my feelings versus my feelings drive my commitment my devotion. So love is not a fleeting feeling. It's a fervent fight of faithfulness. And sometimes it's a fight. Not I'm, not I'm fighting against her, but I'm fighting with her for our marriage, for our commitment, for our vows. And there's this glorious tension in love, right? It actually, it actually proves that I love my wife whenever I have to, when, it, when it's hard to love her. Now, for me, that she's got, you know, I, I got the easy job in this relationship. Let's just be real. My wife is easy to love, but there is a tension sometimes. Come on. But that's where love is proved. There's a glorious tension in love. And we've got to fight. Listen, you've got to fight for love. You got to fight for love. All right, that's a Drew Holcomb song. You should look that up. It's a good one. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here we are. Love is patient. Oh. You should go back and listen to this series if you haven't caught all these. Love is patient. Love is kind. We've talked about these. It does not envy. Oh. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. That's called happiness, right? Self-seeking. The pursuit of happiness isn't love. Love isn't self-seeking. Nothing wrong with the pursuit of happiness, but I'm pursuing love. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. No record of wrongs. How many? None. Will you always? Verse 6, and this is where we're going to focus on today. Verse 6 and part of verse 7. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. First of all, love does not delight in evil. Let's talk about evil. What, what, is, what does that mean to delight in evil? Well, that first word there, delight, in some translations uses, uses the word rejoice. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. In doing wrong. Love does not rejoice in sin. That word, cairo, uh, where this word we get the word charismatic, charisma. It's, it's the joy, it's the gladness, it's the excitement of evil. Do you get excited to do evil? That's not love. Oh, I just loved them so much so we couldn't preserve ourselves. That's not love. That's lust. You're where you're at, but that's what that was. The ESV says this, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. See, we don't celebrate sin. I don't celebrate the sin in my life, and I don't celebrate the sin in your life because I don't rejoice in evil. Now, you're going to have to hold with me today because there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you to get offended. But if you hold on, if you just hold on. Listen, I don't take my sin lightly in my life. We all have our quirks. We all have our weaknesses. And our tendency sometimes is when we have these quirks, these weaknesses, these sins, these quote-unquote little sins in our life, our tendency sometimes is to kind of wink at them. 
or to kind of be glad about it, kind of laugh about it. Oh, ha, 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 that person's got such and such weakness. Anybody else? Anybody else ever make light of your issues, your sin issues? Come on, I'm not talking about your personality quirks. I'm talking about your sin issues, the things you struggle with. Come on, do you take them lightly? Listen, love does not delight in evil. It doesn't take sin lightly. Let me say this. Love does not do whatever makes you happy. I hate that statement. Just do whatever makes you happy. No, no, no. Do whatever makes you holy. How about you do whatever makes you holy? By the way, you can't make yourself holy. Jesus makes you holy. You trust him. That's what makes you holy. Love does not do whatever makes you happy. See, anything that that seeks to justify wrongdoing as well, if you seek to justify what you're doing wrong, well, they did this, so this is my reaction. I am justifying. You are seeking to justify your actions. That is not love. See, we should not find delight in sin. As the children of God, as people that belong to God, we should not find delight in doing wrong. But we do because we lack in love. We lack in fervent devotion. Do we not? Why do you do? Why do you sin? Because sin's pleasurable. Scripture says that sin's pleasurable for a season. But love doesn't delight. Find pleasure in sin. See, sin is not an opportunity for you to rejoice. It's an opportunity for you to be sorrowful. It's an opportunity for you to be broken. Not to be depressed, but for you to go, dang it. I should not have done that. God would have me live differently. My spouse would have me live differently. My friend would have me live differently. I should not have done that. I should not have sinned. I should not have missed the mark. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 says this, that godly sorrow leads to repentance. There's a lot of people out there that will tell you, man, if you sin, no big deal. Just believe you're forgiven and just carry on. I don't, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. The reason why that you keep sinning the same sin is because you don't have godly sorrow for it. You might even feel bad for it, but it isn't godly sorrow. Do you look at the thing that you've done, that you've committed, the sin that you've committed? There's two kinds of sins, by the way. There's the sins of commission, the sins that you commit, and the sins of omission, the sins that you don't do, the the, the, the good things that you don't do. It says in James, if any man knows to do good and doesn't do them, it's sin. Oh, that opens it up. How many of y'all sinned this week? Just a few of us. I know I have. Especially that omission part. A lot of things I forgot to do. A lot of boxes I didn't check. Come on. But godly sorrow changes your thinking, changes your behaviors. That's what repentance means. It means to change your thinking. It means to change your behaviors. But that won't happen if you take your sin lightly. So don't do whatever makes you happy. Love does not, the other thing about love is love does not affirm sin. Oh, it's okay, brother. It's not okay. If I sin, don't tell me it's okay. We, we started doing this thing in our house when we've sinned against one another, when we've, when we've had a, a little, we don't fight, we have intense fellowship. So there'll be this whole thing that, that we, when we would mess up and, and hurt one another's feelings, we would say, oh, I'm sorry, and we go, it's okay. And we quit doing that. We said, we, we don't be mean about it. We just say, we don't say it's okay. We say, thank you for apologizing. Because we're saying that I don't affirm your actions. I don't think they're okay. 
And listen, we've made this confusion in our culture that we've, we've made equal acceptance and affirmation. I can accept you and not affirm you or affirm your actions. I can affirm you without affirming your actions. That's what acceptance is. Acceptance is, is yes, come on, baby. Let's, let's be in relationship together. But that's not okay that you do that. I have kids. I don't affirm all their actions. Leslie has a husband. She doesn't, aff- she doesn't affirm all his actions, but she affirms me. I'm her man. Come on, somebody. How many know that when, when, I, when I feel affirmed for who I am and not affirmed for my actions, then what happens is I want my actions to change. You okay? So unconditional love is not unconditional affirmation. Doesn't mean that I just look at your life and go, oh, yeah, you're good, you're good. No, no, no. You might have some issues in your life. I might have some, uh, some issues in my life. I don't want to affirm my own sin. Psalm 5 4 says this, oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. God doesn't even tolerate our sins. He loves us, he embraces us, but he cannot tolerate our sin. He's like, oh, get that out of here. Because he knows how destructive it is. He knows, and by the way, the reason why God hates sin, and we're going to get into this in a minute, the reason why God hates sin is because he loves the person that's sinning, because when we sin, it gets in the way of our relationship. Are you tracking? See, at at the heart of the gospel is a God who is deeply in love with humanity, yet abhors sin. God hates sin. He doesn't hate sinners. He hates sin. See, Jesus died to transform hearts and align lifestyles. He didn't just come so you say, oh, yes, I respond, I'll pray this prayer, all good, I'm just going to do my own life. No, 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 no. He came, he died, he came to get rid of all the junk, all the hindrances, all the sin in your life so that you could walk in relationship with Jesus, so you could have a connection with him. While we were sinners, Christ came. While you were messed up, he said, I want you enough, I'll take care of your sin. Romans 12, 9 says, love must be sincere. It's got to be real love. How do we know it's real love? Well, first of all, you hate what is evil. You hate it. And you cling to what is good. One translation says, abhor. What a word, man. And we use the word hate all the time, but abhor means like utterly detest. Utterly detest what is evil but cling to what is good. Then he says this, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. See, this is the thing. We honor virtues, not vices. We honor virtues, not vices. So I don't honor the sin that's in your life. I honor you. Sometimes I honor you by speaking to the sin that's in your life. In loving ourselves, we do not delight in doing the things that God hates. No, 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 I'm asking the Lord every day. Lord, teach me to hate what you hate. If God can hate it, I can hate it. If God hates it, I need to hate it. If God loves it, I need to love it. Because he's, he's the goal. So love does not affirm sin. The, th- the next part of that is this. We don't celebrate or tolerate evil. 
And some of you are like, whoa, whoa. Aren't we, if you guys remember about 10, 15 years ago, that was the buzzword, man, tolerate. Everybody just tolerate. Everybody just be tolerable of one another. Just tolerate. Let's just coexist. Let's, just all, let's all just get along. And then now the tables have turned, right? Now it's like, no, we don't tolerate anything. It's interesting the same people that were telling you to tolerate everything realize that that didn't work. Check out what it says in Revelation. Now, this is Jesus speaking to his church. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and your perseverance. I know that you're doing more than you did at first. You're doing good. Nevertheless, (laughs) oh, no. Affirmation, affirmation, affirmation. Nope. Hold up. Not this part. I have this against you. I love you. You're doing good. But this, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and by eating the food sacrificed to idols. Now, some of you are like, whoa, who's Jezebel? So Jezebel is this woman in the Old Testament who is, who is basically, she was like a princess. And so, but she was, she was trying to, to kill the prophets. In fact, she wasn't just trying, she was succeeding. In fact, and, and, and Elisha goes into hiding because this woman, he's like, I am scared for my life because Jezebel's going to kill me like all the other prophets. She causes them to be depressed, discouraged, all these kind of things. And so the spirit of Jezebel in the book of Revelation, book of Revelation I'm not going to go way into it because, you know, we can, get, we can get pretty wild, pretty weird real fast. We start talking about spirits. Everybody starts tripping out. What are you talking about? Ooh. Some people are like, oh, I love it. Other people are like, oh. You know, so we're just, we're weird about that stuff. But the spirit of Jezebel is not about a gender, first of all. A, a, spirit of, a spirit of Jezebel can be on a man as much as it is a woman. But the, the agenda of the spirit of Jezebel is to silence the prophets. It's to silence God's voice on the earth. And how does Jezebel do that? Well, Jezebel does it through discouragement, one. The other way Jezebel does it is through sexual immorality. And so that spirit of Jezebel will come in and say, man, hey, why don't you click on this link right here? Come on. Why don't you reconnect with that person you were in a relationship with 10 years ago? What is that? They're trying to, the spirit is trying to mislead you so it can silence your testimony as a beloved child of God, this is the spirit of Jezebel. So what God says is, listen, he says, listen, do not tolerate evil. Don't tolerate the woman Jezebel. Have nothing to do with her. See, we hate sin because it's destructive to ourselves, our society, and our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. This is why we hate sin. We hate sin because it's a destructive in nature. Because sin keeps you from being who you're supposed to be. It keeps you from who God made you to be. It's your sin. God didn't create you to be an addict. Come on, God, God didn't create you to be addicted to pornography and, and struggle with that. God didn't predict you, create you to be uh, addicted to some kind of, you know, substance where you can't live without it. No, 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 man. God wants to free you of all those things. And see, the thing is, is sin, we've, we've made so much allowance for sin just by tolerating, oh, we just, we just love people, so we don't want to say anything about their issues. And Don't tolerate the sin. Don't tolerate the sin. And first of all, don't tolerate the sin in your own life. Because this is what happens. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and says, you shouldn't do that. Right? You're, we call this conviction. Okay? The Holy Spirit's like, no. And you're like, oh, but I really want to. And in the moment, your desire to please God is smaller than your desire to sin. So you give in to sin. Right? We all do it all the time. So what happens is if we continue in that path, we, we begin to tune out the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
Because instead of being the Holy Spirit who's our comforter, he becomes the holy nag to us. And we start going, oh, it's okay. This makes me happy. And he's going, but it doesn't make you holy. It doesn't make you holy. Stop it. And what happens is our conscience, Scripture uses this terminology, our conscience becomes seared. You ever sear a steak? It gets kind of crusty on the outside. And that's what happens to your heart. And some of you, when you came to the Lord, you were like, oh, I'm going to serve Jesus forever. I'm going after God. And then little compromises started sneaking in. And it says this in Song of Solomon, it says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And so what happens is the little things where you just begin to compromise, oh, it's not a big deal. Nobody will see. It's not going to hurt anybody. I know it doesn't please God, but oh, it's not a big deal. And as you begin to just feed in to those things, what happens is your conscience begins to get seared. And you're like, I can't hear the Lord anymore. Well, he's still speaking. You just tuned him out. And you developed a hardness to him. And that's why you're not seeing God move in your life anymore. So stop giving into sin. It's so destructive. And we've seen this with our culture. Oh, my gosh. You see how jacked up our culture is. Why? Because we just continue to tolerate and tolerate and tolerate and tolerate and tolerate. Whatever you tolerate dominates. See, the fact is we need to learn to, we, we, we hate this statement in church because we hate all these kind of statements, right? Because they lose their meaning. So there's a statement that people make and they say, love the sin, hate the sinner. How many of y'all ever heard that? Love the sinner, hate the sin, right? And we're like, and people are like, come on, bro. That just means you want to be mean to sinners. That's actually not what it means. This is the way I like to say it. I hate sin because I love sinners, because I know how destructive sin is to people's life. See, I hate heroin because I love people that are addicted to it. I love that person that is controlled by this substance. I hate pornography because it's got so many men entrapped. But I, because I love those men and I don't want them to be snatched in by that spirit of Jezebel. I can't tolerate that woman Jezebel. We've got to learn to hate what is evil. Listen, beloved, don't dull your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. When he says don't do that, you just stop. You will maintain a tenderness before the Lord. You will maintain a tenderness before the Lord. Then, also this, listen, love does not delight in evil also means this. Love does not delight when evil happens to somebody else. Love does not delight when, when injustice happens to somebody else. By the way, justice is not evil. Come on. But even when your enemy, who you're called to love, by the way, when wrong is done to them, when they're done wrong, when they're done dirty, do you rejoice? Do you say they got what they deserved? They made their bed. They need to lie in it. What is the disposition of your heart when you say that? Will God take care of justice? Absolutely. Let him take care of justice. You keep your heart pure. See, the, the fact of the matter is, is we want justice for everybody else, but we want mercy for ourselves. But the fact is, is we want perfect mercy. Before the throne of perfect mercy is perfect grace. And that's the great thing about Jesus, right? It's because we, we can decide when we stand before God if we will get perfect justice served us, perfect justice for everything you've ever thought, or perfect mercy. 
beautiful. So God's perfect justice for the person that you hate is that they would come to repentance. Because God's not willing that any should perish, but everyone come to repentance. So listen, you want to nurture some tenderness in your heart? Pray for your enemies. Father, I pray that you would keep them from evil because we know what's coming. Y'all right? So Paul begins to make a shift here in 1 Corinthians 13. He's like, love does not, love does not, love does not. And then he makes a shift and starts talking about what love does. And the first thing he says about what love does is he says, love rejoices in truth. Instead of delighting in evil, we delight, we rejoice in truth. How do we rejoice in truth? How do we celebrate truth? How do we be glad about truth? Well, first of all, you embrace the truth. Everybody say the truth. The truth. You embrace the truth. You by believing the truth, by embracing the truth, by celebrating the truth. We talk about the truth. We're talking about the man of truth, Jesus. We're talking about the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the truth about Jesus. The truth about Jesus' teaching. The truth about the gospel. What do you believe about the gospel? Well, I don't even know what the gospel is. Well, I'll introduce you today. But it has a whole lot to do with perfect mercy at the throne of perfect justice. And the man balancing the scales in your favor. But you've got to embrace that truth. Do you want to conform your life to God's truth, or do you want to adapt? And this is what we do with the Bible. We read, like, parts that we like. Or do you want to adapt the truth to your life? Oh, I don't like that part. Let's just ignore it. Bro, it's there. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to wrestle with it? Are you going to fight with it? Go for it. Wrestle with the Scriptures. Wrestle. Get in the word until the word gets in you. You struggle through those scriptures. Why? Because you rejoice in truth. Even the scriptures that you're like, man, I have a problem with that. Get before God and you go, God, what does this mean? Is, am, I, am I understanding this correctly? Embrace the truth. It's, it says this uh, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He's talking about the Razi Antichrist and the end, end of the age and all this kind of doom that's, that, that's befallen. And, and he says this, they will be condemned. For enjoying evil rather than believing truth. Did you know that there is a judgment in rejecting truth? The judgment is your conscience gets seared, like we were talking about a while ago. When you continually reject the truth, whether it's by the Holy Spirit or by the Word, your conscience begins to get seared. It's funny, like, I know people who've, who've started making, like, justifications for sin behavior, sin lifestyles in their life, and it's like, well, I'm still loving God. I just got this thing going on. But it's like, they're not loving God because it's not just that thing they're struggling with. Now they're struggling with everything. But they're not even struggling. They're just giving in to everything. Romans talks about this. He says, he says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So they entered into sexual immorality. They entered into hate, violence, all this kind of stuff. Where did it all come from? It come from this place. It came from this place of exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Don't exchange the, God, the, the word of truth for a lie. A lie that will suit your, your conscience. 
or to give you permission to do whatever you want to do. Listen, I want to conform my life to the word of God. I want to embrace the truth of who Jesus is and what his word says about him. Number two, we experience the truth. Just hold with me today. We express, I'm sorry, we express the truth. Now, you have these people, and some of you feel like I'm that guy right now, and that's okay, that express the truth. And when we talk about truth expressors, we, we, say, we say stuff like, they're brutally honest, right? But most of the time, we mean they're really brutal. We don't really care about the honesty part. They're just mean. Because when we talk about speaking the truth or expressing the truth, we're not really talking about being mean. And this is what people have done. Well, it's the truth. It needs to be spoken. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. The point of speaking the truth, we don't speak the truth for truth's sake. We speak the truth so that we can grow in our devotion to Jesus. The reason why I want to know the truth is because I want to look more like Jesus. That's the reason why I want to know the truth. And that's the reason why I want to express the truth. Because I want you to look more like Jesus. Because we're both growing and becoming more like Jesus together. So we're going to share the truth with one another. And we're not going to get offended because we know that we love one another. But what you have is you have all these people that are mean-spirited, and they're just like, where the Bible is? Ah. And everybody's like, I don't want anything to do with the Bible or this Jesus you talk about. And can I be honest, I don't want anything to do with that Bible or that Jesus they talk about either. Because, listen, the reality is, is if you're not speaking the truth in love, you're misrepresenting it. You can be totally right in what you say and totally wrong in your spirit. I would venture to say this. You can sin sometimes by speaking the truth. You can sin sometimes by speaking the truth. Mm. Well, we'll have a conversation. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Let's dig it. Let's discover Ephesians 4. Then they will no longer be immature like children. Oh, thank you, Lord. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced with people who play tricks on us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way to become more like Christ, exactly what we're talking about, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body, all of us, fit together crazy, perfectly. Oh, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so the truth spoken in love helps us to become more like Jesus. The goal is growth. Come on. The goal is transformation. So speaking the truth in love doesn't mean that you shout it from the mountaintops or the buildings with a smile on your face. It means that you're willing to sit down. It means that you're willing to have a conversation. It, it, it means that you're willing to, to take the conversation a little bit deeper than a Facebook thread. You're willing to get a cup of, buy somebody a cup of coffee and talk about the struggle. That you're willing to take the time to sit with somebody and get to know their name. You know, man, I, I had this, like, ambition to represent Jesus well and to, and to really be a defender of the church. And so when people are talking about bad preachers, you guys heard me talk about this before. When people are bad-talking preachers, I'm like, do you even know them? Like, have you even had a conversation? And it's, like, and it's like right here, it's like you're not doing it in love, so it's not building anybody up. It's not helping. It's just causing harm, and it's, it's showing division. Why? Because you're just speaking the truth, but your heart isn't right. 
And what's going to happen is if you continue in that thread, you're going to end up old and bitter like the Pharisees. Jesus said this about the Pharisees. He says, you go and you're teaching them all that stuff and you're making them twice the son of Satan that you are. Listen, beloved, let's get into love. Let's speak the truth, but let's do it with the right heart. Let's exemplify tenderness, walking people through the issues. And then we experience the fruit of the truth. Oh, the fruit of the truth is so glorious. The fruit of the truth, see, we, we rejoice in truth. Why? Because it's truth? Yeah, but, but, it's, but it's greater than that. We, we rejoice because truth has a power. Truth has a fruit. The fruit of truth is that truth sets people free. Listen, we've been saying this. Love opens the door, but truth sets people free. Love opens the door. Love provides the way. But it's the truth that said, did you know that you can love somebody into hell? You can love somebody, love somebody, love somebody, and if they don't, they're not exposed to the truth, they won't ever know Jesus. They'll just get perfect justice. That's freaky. And we've, we've talked about how it's the, you know, the most powerful thing. Listen, truth is not a virtue. It is what it is. We've got to skillfully use this sword of truth to perform heart surgery on folks. Come on, we've got to do that by being nice. The reason why we love truth is because it sets people free. I want you to know the truth today. I'm preaching hard today for you. Why? Because I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching for you because I believe that you need to be set free from some things. It says this in John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said it first. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if... You remain faithful. If you're, you'll fight the fight of faith to my teaching. If you'll stay faithful to my teaching, and you will know the truth. You'll know it. You'll experience it. You'll embrace it. And then the truth will set you free. Jesus is talking to his people. He's saying, listen, I want you free, but you've got to know the truth. I am the truth. See, the truth about Jesus sets people free from evil and bondage. Do you want freedom? Do you want to be free? Then stop focusing on your truth. Stop focusing on your reality. Stop focusing on your struggle and embrace the truth of Jesus. Embrace the beautiful fact that he loves you, he wants you. Embrace that. Embrace that Jesus paid a very high price to have you. He gave it all for you. Embrace the truth of Jesus. Get into the truth. Get into the life-giving power of the gospel, and you will be free. But stop focusing on your issues and your truth, whatever that even means. It's no your truth. It's truth or truth. It's the truth. That's it. Next, he says this. That's heavy. Let me help you out. Love always protects. See, the thing is, My job isn't to expose people. Our job isn't to expose people. Our job is to protect people because love always protects. So what happens is when somebody comes to me with sin, and they're like, man, I'm struggling with this sin, I don't go, everybody, just want you to know this individual is a sin. This individual is sin, they're a sinner, just like me. They're a sinner. They screwed up, they blew it big time. Just want everybody to know. Wow, that did a lot of good. First of all, you just put a whole lot of shame on that person. Put a whole lot of shame on that person. See, love doesn't expose others. Shame does that. That's what shame does. 
I say shame off you. The word for always protects, that word protects is stego. It's kind of like the word lego, stego. And the word stego means to roof over. See, my job at the Brown House is to provide a roof over my family's head. My job is to provide for them, to protect them. I provide a roof. That roof protects them from the storms and the wind and the rain and the cold. That roof is there. What is that? Love always protects. Love makes sure that my family's covered. Love makes sure that when you have a struggle or an issue, my job isn't just to say, well, the truth says, and point at you. No, no, no. My job is to say, you know what, let me protect you. We're going to speak to those things because I'm not protecting you if we don't. But listen, I want you to know you're here, and I've got you. And I'm not going anywhere. You can find safety and you can find shelter. I'm going to love you. First Peter 4 verse 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sin. We don't expose one another. We expose one another to the truth, but not to others. See, love protects others from evil, harm, accusation. If somebody comes to me and they're gossiping, you know what I'll do? I say, well, let me tell you what they're doing. First of all, I speak the truth in love that gossiping is a sin and that what they're doing by gossiping is just as sinful as the thing that they're gossiping about. Y'all okay? And then I say, listen, let's not talk about them right now. Let's talk about you. How you feeling? What's going on? Let's get down. Let's, let's, let's peel the onion. Let's dig down. Let's, let's see what's deep. Why are you hurting? Why does this bother you? And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cover them. I'm going to put my arms around them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to walk with them. I'm not, I'm not going to expose them. And I'm going to tell other people, now you need to watch out for that person. No, 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 no. What is that? Love always protects others from harm, evil, accusation. Love defends others from sin, from sinful behavior, and against accusation. Love doesn't accuse. Love defends. Oh, beloved. When I think about the covering, I always think about the garden. You guys know the garden. I mean, this is Adam and Eve, the whole planet. It's like yours. God's like, hey, I created all this awesome stuff. Here you go. Go take dominion. It's going to be great. Just one thing. <laughs> right? It's like, why do we have this rebellious nature was just the one thing. I mean, we've got to don't touch that button. Oh, Lord. All the buttons. Don't touch that one. That's the one I want to touch. I want to see what that one does. Don't touch the button. Don't eat the tree. Don't eat from that tree. We know, we know the story, the fall. And it says this, that at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together. To cover themselves. You ever done that? You ever tried to cover your shame with something insignificant? Something that will be over tomorrow? Something that will rot away within 24 hours? I would suggest that most of the things that we do are covering our shame. That are afraid that someone might see what I am beneath the fig leaves. And it says this, and I love this story. Because God knew that they sinned, (laughs) and God still shows up. He didn't go, just go ahead and deal with it. 
It's yours now. You screwed it up. You made the bed lay in it. You got what you deserved. No, God still shows up in the garden. When the, when the cool evening breeze were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And it wasn't because God didn't know, it's because Adam didn't know. Where are you? He replied. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid that you would see what I look like. I was afraid that you would see the shame because I'm so ashamed. I'm naked. I'm unprotected. And then God tells him, listen, this is what's going to happen. There's a result from this. But it says this later down. It says in verse 21, it says, The Lord made clothing from animal skin for Adam and his wife. I love this so much. It's so powerful, first of all, because it speaks of sacrifice. It speaks of the sacrifice that Jesus would make thousands of years later. That it would cover, listen, our fail attempts to cover our shame. Our temporary fixes to cover our shame. He said, you know what? I will provide permanent covering for your shame. The first sacrifice in the Bible was made by God. To cover our shame. To cover what we were bashful of. He said, let me cover you. The fourth thing about love, when love fights, is love always perseveres. One translation says, love always endures, or endures all things. That word is the same word that Jesus used in John chapter 15, where he says, remain in me. The word is meno, and the word is hypermeno. And it means this. It means placed under constant covering. So you're not just covered You're constantly covered under my protection. You're constantly covered as you press on, as you endure. You're constantly covered. See, the thing that love does is love always sticks around. Love provides a permanent dwelling place. It's a place that's saying, you know what? I'm persevering. I'm staying here. This is where I live now. I'm not getting out of this marriage. Love perseveres. I know it's been five years of hell, but we're going to go five more if we have to. Love endures all things. I think about my, my older brother who gave his heart to the Lord a couple of years ago. I watched my dad, my whole life I've watched my dad weep over my older brother who just, you know, wasted a lot of his life. And man, I, I watched the ups and downs of my dad for over 35 years. My brother would screw up again, and my dad would bail him out. My dad would take care of him. My dad would pursue him, pursue relationship with him. He'd get back in trouble. I mean, it's just a cycle his whole life. I love my brother. I love my dad. And I watched my dad for all those years. It was annoying to me. 
Because I cleaned up pretty good. And he didn't. And I just watched my dad time after time go, I'm done. This is the last thing I'm doing. You know what? Never happened. He just kept pressing on. He just kept going. He kept fighting for love. He kept enduring. And you know what happened a couple years ago? My brother, my older brother, gave his heart to Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus. And he's, he's doing pretty good now. I'm so proud of him. But it's because he had someone in his life that said, love endures. Love presses on. Love keeps on going. Love keeps fighting. And it had to be hard. It cost my dad tons of money over the years. See, love always sticks around. Love always stays faithful. Love fervently fights for. It fights through and endures the tension between sin and triumph. And it nurtures holiness. Listen, when you love someone, you're willing to, to stick around. We have this, you know, they're toxic. Get them out of my life. Man, just, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here tomorrow. Even, even, you know what, even if you don't straighten up. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to love you. But even if you don't, I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to mean I'm going to abide in your life. Listen, for as long as you serve God, for as long as you serve God, there is going to be a temptation to sin. Those temptations might change over the years, but there will always be temptation for you, beloved child of God, to sin. Some of those will be the sins of commission. Some of those will be the sins of omission. But the question isn't, are you tempted? The question is, will you endure? The question is, will you outlast the temptation? The question is, will you outlast the enemy? Will you remain? Will your love be true? Will you be committed? I want to minister two things today. First of all is this, and they're really the same thing. They both have to do with shame. And the first of you that, the, the, the first section of you I want to talk to is those that have been into shaming others. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I believe most of the time when people are shaming others is because they feel so shamed themselves. What do you do if you're shaming others? You repent. You change your thinking. You change your behavior. You change your mind. How do you do that? First of all, you just become a safe place. Become a safe place. You believe the best in people and become a student of Jesus. Listen, if you're struggling with that, kind of pointing down at people, listen, be a safe place. Believe the best in people. Man, I, I've, I've learned, I learned a long time ago to just believe and, and hope, hope in people. Just hope that they'll make it. I've been let down thousands, literally thousands of times I've been let down my hope. But, I'm, but I still hope people. I still hope for people. I'm just like, well, you know what? Because there's some that stick it out. And I've protected my heart by being that way. Whereas I would just get bitter, you know. So be a safe place. Believe the best and become a student of Jesus. And if you are dealing with self-shame, repent. Change your thinking. 
we have to think, in order to live in shame, we have to just think that the cross wasn't enough. Was it enough? Stop thinking that your sin is bigger than what Jesus did. Because it's not. So if you're dealing with that, find a safe place. You might not be able to be a safe place right now, but you need to find one. Believe that you're forgiven. Believe that Jesus did enough for you. Become a student of Jesus. Study Jesus. Pastor Josh, what do I need in the read in the Bible? Study Jesus. Just study Jesus. Do you need to read the rest of the Bible? Yeah. But just study Jesus, man. Fall in love with the man Jesus. Fall in love with God the Son, Jesus. Fall in love with him and all of his beauty, all of his deity. 1 John 4, last verse. This is real love. This is what it looks like, real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Not to just cover them, but to take them away. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another.